Welcome to Conversations with Coaches, where top executive coaches talk about the leadership tools that shape their practice and then give them to you for free. This is a stakeholder-centered coaching production where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder-centered leader. I'm Brandon Murgard, CEO and Master Coach, and I'll be your host as we take you inside the Coach's Toolbox. The best part of this season is that you get to keep all the tools for free. We're giving each resource to our listeners as part of our mission to measurably improve leadership effectiveness around the world. You can download all the tools at mgsec.net forward slash coach dash toolbox. That's mgsec.net forward slash coach dash toolbox. And by the way, if you are a certified stakeholder centered coaching coach, you already have access to all these tools right inside of your SCC coach portal. So get your tools today. Today, we are thrilled to bring on board a speaker, strategist, and executive coach. Our guest today is Nancy Berger, as she shares her expertise on transforming workplace environments into healthy, productive workplaces. Nancy is a mastermind who's spent over a decade weaving communication expertise with psychology and neuroscience. She's like a, a workplace wellness guru, transforming office cultures into emotionally healthy environments. And guess what? She's worked with everyone from C-suite executives and HR bosses right to the brave entrepreneurial souls running their own businesses. So what's Nancy's secret sauce? Teaching us that we're all superheroes in disguise, capable of changing our thoughts and beliefs. She's also the go-to expert for universities, leadership organizations, and networking groups, helping to dispel limiting belief systems and boost clear, effective dynamics. Today, Nancy introduces the Fear Journey Template, a key part of her informative teachings on the fear formula, which we'll get into in our conversation. This tool will help uncover how past experiences shape our relationship with fear. Through this, Nancy gets a deep insight into her client's thought process, enabling her to better guide them on their leadership development journey. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to our guest, Nancy Berger. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Boy, I want to meet her the way I love that intro. I want to meet her. <laughs> you know, I, I think I really belong in the hip hop game as a hype man. Exactly. I feel like right. I should just be the guy in the back with the mic making everyone feel <clears throat> feel special. Um, no, I, I appreciate that you've, you've been here, Nancy. And I have to say, um, you know, we met uh, a few years back in the, the certification course. Yes. And I knew from the very first interaction we had that we were going to have a meaningful connection. Did you really? That's, you that's great, to, um, great to know. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Frank and I had a, a good, you know, we see, we do this constantly, right? We've been doing this for many years. I think I've personally been part of 3,000 or so coaches certification journey. And so you can immediately tell who's in the room. Um, and immediately you stood out as the one who's going to show up early, fully prepared, ask the best questions and just be fully engaged and drive the conversation forward. And the reason that that is such a, a magnetic personality trait to me is that I was always the naughty kid in the back distracting others who the best student in the front would kind of look at and shake their fist and say, come on, you're detracting from my learning. So I love that about you. Would you say that's a fair way to describe you, Nancy? It, uh, you know, 
I used to sit in the front all the time. It annoyed mm. everybody, you know, but I, I, some of it was because I couldn't see the board. That was part of it. Mm. But I do, when I get excited about something, I really get excited about it. And I got excited about the stakeholder center coaching mm-hmm. process. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad it was noticeable. Um, <laughs> It was, and we had a we had a delight. Uh, we had a delight in training you. We had a delight in going through the skill practice and really seeing your full development. But I could tell right away um, that that's the personality type that I gravitate to because people like you and I generally make um, make big waves in teams. Uh, and so I'm very happy that we get to do this. Thank you for thank too. you for for coming on, Nancy. Thank you for having um, me, Brandon. I know we're going to have a great discussion. Right. Because first of all, we're both excited about it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're talking about fear. And I think um, what some important context for our listeners is that as we went through season one uh, of the podcast, there were two themes that came out overwhelmingly in every episode. Uh, one of them was uh, the deep and enduring impact that Frank Wagner has had on so many people's lives. Yes. Uh, and the second one is the the crippling effects of imposter syndrome. And Nancy and I had a conversation about um, fear and her expertise in the area about really unpacking the fear, confronting it and overcoming it. So that's what I hope we can talk about today, Nancy. Uh, let's start with the, the landscape. Like how did you become a coach? I became a coach because I started my consultancy working with people specifically on fear, right? And it was individual coaching primarily. Then I started to get some corporate work and I really love corporate. I love working with teams. I love working with leaders. Um, oddly enough, even though it's pervasive in, in all environments, personal and professional, a lot of companies don't really like the F word. You know, they don't want to talk about fear. They don't want to, because somehow I think they feel like it might give it teeth. So I started to get this uh, feedback from channels uh, in the companies I was working with that, you know, could you just kind of change what you talk about a little bit? Does it have to be like, and I said, okay, I'm going to meet people where they are. I don't want to repel, you know, my clients. I don't want to scare people with fear. So I actually rebranded a little bit and and I knew I would do the same work. I just called it something different. Now, as part of that process, Brandon, I felt like I needed to have some training in, in, in being a coach for those leaders. I just didn't feel like, I don't know, I just needed something else. I felt like I needed a little bit of extra training and I asked around and the only name that came up was Marshall Goldsmith. And, and I immediately, uh, enrolled and, and I'm so glad I did. And that's how, that's how I came to coaching really. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, given your unique experience and expertise with fear, where do you see that intersection between stakeholder center coaching and managing and overcoming fear? So the, the way I see it is that everybody to a person, uh, is grappling with if it's if they don't call it fear or fear-based thinking, it's some sort of limiting belief system, some sort of imposter syndrome, insecurity, some sort of lack of confidence that kind of runs like an app in the background. You know, it's like running in your brain. 
um, and, and draining your battery. Um, but we don't often know and we can't often articulate it. Um, I see, I've seen it in so many people that even outside leadership circles. Then when I started working with leaders, it became clear to me that they are even better at pushing it down. And, and a lot of that, I think, is is what Marshall talks about. You know, what got you here won't get you there. They're like, well, I got this far uh, and I've been pushing it down. So I'll just keep pushing it down and it won't show its head. And so I got really fascinated and curious about that. So the intersection, I would say, is a lot of the study that I've done about how humans are wired, how our brains are wired, the neuroscience of fear. I found it so fascinating. And what it taught me was that we don't have the ability to really notice our own, how we get stuck in the snares of fear-based thinking, because often we get into that fight or flight part of our brain, those neural pathways that really shut down our logical brain. So we really aren't too good at noticing when we're getting in those patterns. And so I started to get really curious about that. And that's where the coaching came in, because when I'm working with clients, I can help them notice, I can raise their awareness. And then they, it's almost like Dorothy, I always use this metaphor, they realize they've got all they have to do is click their heels together, and they can change it. How much time does that usually take? When someone says, I want to make a positive difference in this to the point that they actually have? It, it is a very case by case situation. Some clients I've, I've had discovery calls with coaching clients where they were pretty much stiff arming me. Like, I know where, well, I know what you're trying to do. We're not going there. I'm not going to talk about my child. And, and let's, I want to be clear, Brandon. I don't try to psychoanalyze people. I'm not a therapist. I'm very clear about that. It's very different work. But what I do try to do is get them to talk about early life experiences, their young genius, you know, what, how they were socialized, what their first family dynamics were. And I've gotten stiff arm. No, we're not going there. And then I say, Oh, okay. We, we don't have to go there. And then by the time we have our second session, they're telling me all about what happened when they were 10 or what, you know, because I think people realize that it's important, but they kind of need permission to do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And how does that show up? Like, how are you able to reinforce to someone, this is a safe place to share those fears. That way we can actually unpack them and overcome them. A lot of the time it's by sharing my own. So when we talk about the journey to coaching and the, and, and why I'm so curious about fear, it's because I spent pretty much three decades of my life absolutely crippled by it. Um, and I wanted to figure out why. So I set about to do that. And I did that by studying neuroscience, by reading everything I could, psychology, by assembling a really great crack you know, support team for my own mental health journey. And I learned strategies for changing all of that. And when that became clear to me that I had changed the way I thought, and I essentially changed my experience, my entire life experience, I said, wow, if I can do this for one other person and reduce some of the suffering, won't that be great? So that's. Wow. Well, 30 years, that's a long time to sit with fear in your pocket. How does, is that a common story or is that, were you just particularly good at pushing it down? Uh, I think it's a common story, Brandon, because in those 30 years, I had a career. I got married. I had two children. I got divorced. I mean, I lived my life, uh, but we are masterful at doing it. And 
And when I learned the extent to which people, because I think when you go through a life change like that, you know, I was married for 27 years. I ended my marriage. A lot of people came out of the woodwork interested and curious because they're like, I can't believe it. How did, you know, and um, because, you know, life is not like Netflix, you know, we, 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 you know, my former husband and I are dear friends and we have a wonderful relationship and we still parent our children together. But like, they were like, how did you, nobody would know. How did you? And then I realized, oh my gosh, everyone is struggling. Everyone is struggling with something and they just don't want to talk about it. I don't know if people feel like it's a sign of weakness or I, I don't really know, but I think it's very, much more common than you might think. Mm, that's a scary thought, but you know, on the heels of that, Nancy, I have a confession and that's that I'm also, I'm also scared. I've got some fears. Uh, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that through this conversation, I'm going to learn some practical tools to actually uh, uh, face that, hopefully take some steps in the right direction. Um, but you said something that was very, very uh, worth visiting. You said that people, People generally are willing to discuss their fears when they feel that it's a good space for it and when you've shared yours yours first. And I would be willing to bet that there are some listeners today, many of them who say, yeah, you know, I've got fears too. Uh, but some of them who are saying, maybe I don't. Well, would you be willing to share some of your story to start joggling and jostling some of our fixed positions on fear? Oh, for sure. Um, yes. I mean... So, you know, it took me a while to just to realize when all of this started, but I believe that I became afraid of pretty much everything starting at 15 years old. And I remember the moment. I remember where I was standing. I remember the entire thing. It was a, and, and, and everyone is different. People process information differently. Not everyone. When I was 15 years old and my, my mother told me I was fat, that could have rolled off the back of 115 year olds. It didn't roll off my back, right? So that moment started a tail, a, a, a downward spiral into disordered eating, anorexia, a lot of mental health challenges that lived with me for the better part of my life. But it was only when I got so tired of feeling scared of everything that I started to get help. And I, it's all a gift. Like, I don't look back or say, blame people or say, oh, because my mother said that's her fault. No, 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 no. We are all responsible for how we interpret our life. And so I view everything that happened to me as a gift and something that I could use to move forward. So I went on a journey of, you know, exploration, discovery about myself, got the right help, got the right, and am a happy, well-adjusted, healthy person today. Uh, it was a lot of work, but it's do, so I think sometimes Brandon doing the work is just so daunting. It's so daunting because it's not, it's not, you know, fixing a broken leg. It's not, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a pervasive thing and it's, and it's our brains and how we think about everything. But if you kind of think about it that way, like, well, your thought processes are your, ch it's your choice. Every thought you have is a choice you make. Not like you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to choose to have it. No, 
when you think something, you have a choice to believe it or not. And I challenge people and I want to challenge listeners to notice your thoughts and question them. Don't necessarily believe them. It's our bias. We look for evidence to believe the thoughts we have, you know, confirmation bias. There's so many biases that we're all, you know, a victim of every day, all day. And we make meaning out of everything. Question the thoughts. Once you start questioning them, everything can change. That's what happened to me. And that's what I like to teach in my coaching and in my consulting. Well, on the, in the spirit of more confessions, you know, I, the more we talk about this, the more I am uh, feeling committed to really putting this into practice, but also a little scared of what's coming on the other side. Uh, so I, I appreciate that you Brandon, get excited, get excited, get pumped. <laughs> I have a choice. I am totally misinterpreting this wrong. I am, I'm excited to, uh, to have some of these fears that I, I would probably say are probably old enough to buy cigarettes here in the U.S. Um, yeah. And get rid of them. Yeah. And you can. Yeah, why not? And you can. And you know what? I have a real, oof, I get the little hairs on my arm stand up when people say, uh, fight the fear over, you know, battle the fear, ignore the fear, do it anyway. All you have to do is understand it and unpack it. And then the gates open and it's all possible, right? But you just have to understand it. That's all. Okay, let's get all our listeners on the same page <clears throat> and let's really have a transformative episode here because I think the stuff you're talking about is really, really important for coaches and anyone in a helping profession. Because if we can't, I mean, we commit ourselves to helping other people process this. If we can't do it ourselves, boy, we're going to have an ineffective career. So uh, if you're listening today, most of you have a fear you can already put a finger on. Some of you might be saying, I maybe don't have a fear. Some of you might be saying, I, I don't know what that is. So Nancy, how do we get those people to acknowledge that there probably is some fear worth, uh, worth unpacking and even come to understanding of what it is? What I, where I like to start sometimes with people is asking them to write a letter to themselves about what is working in their life and what isn't. It is. It is a very powerful exercise in uncovering, you know, the weak links in the chain um, because it might not present itself as a fear. You know, it might present itself as discomfort, something that you just wish was a little better. Um, I wish that, you know, I, I 
I'm doing well at work, but I wish I didn't get so nervous in team meetings. There's fear in there. You just, we, we just have to dig in a little bit and, and pull the thread on the sweater, you know, and see what we find. Um, or, um, my personal, I may, I, I, I'm happy in my marriage, but I wish I felt more of a connection. There's a fear in there. It's, it's often several steps to get there. So that letter to yourself can be a great starting point just to, just to sit with what you're feeling good about and what you might like to, to, uh, you know, amplify, change, redesign, whatever. If you're listening to this episode, you're at the gym doing your exercise, you're in your commute, you're maybe watching here on YouTube, think very carefully about what Nancy's just said. It sounds like there might be an I wish A, but B is standing in my way type of statement. You maybe already know what it is. Um, Or you may be a bit in denial about whether there's a fear, but I bet you know someone that you'd like to help who has a fear. So Nancy, walk us through what can we do to concretely make this positive difference? Where do we start? In in reframing a fear, fear, is that what you're referring to, Brandon? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... I'm going to share an exercise that I do that I think is a good illustration of this. Um, and I call it a, a fear to want exercise. Um, I ask people to take index cards, five to 10 index cards. On the front of the index card, write something that's bugging you. It could be, I feel stuck in my job. It could be, I can't speak up for myself. Notice these are not necessarily written as fears. They're just things that are under your skin that you just don't like. On the flip side of the same card, so let's use an example. I wish I could speak up for myself. I, I, I don't speak up for myself enough. On the flip side of the card, I ask them to word it into a want, not a wish, which is a different neurological process. A wish is kind of, you know, it may not happen. A want is an intentional desire, right? Write it on the back. And then I ask them to read the backside of all the index cards every day. Now, why? What does that do for me? You may ask. So neurologically, that, that, I don't like, I, I don't stand up for myself. I feel like I'm getting taken advantage of at work. I, all these things. You're in a defensive posture neurologically, right? You're, 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 that's fear-based. It's kind of fixed mindset. Um, when you, when you reword that and you write it down, first of all, when you write and then you read, you're firing up both hemispheres of the brain, right? So it's better for reframing thoughts. Um, but you are in intention and purpose. It's a very different neurological experience for you. And, uh, and it's not wishing and hoping and dreaming. It's I want this. And that moves you forward in a way that, that the first, the, 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 the front side of the index card will not. The front side of the index card will keep you stuck in that fear-based thought. And the more you fire those neurons, the more they wire together. So I'm getting people to fire differently and wire their brain differently. And that's what you do in that intention and purpose. So it can be really powerful. And that's a, one of the steps to reframing the way you think about things. And when you can do that, you start moving toward that thing you want instead of being stuck in the discomfort of not having it. So we've done this exercise. I wrote down on the backside the, the, the wants. 
I still have quite a psychological hurdle to, you know, just getting getting into the weeds on these things. How do I overcome that and actually start actioning these ones? So the key, the first step is reading them out loud to yourself every day, reading them out loud in preferably in front of a mirror. And I get eye rolls on this. Don't believe me, I do. But when people do it and they're doing it consistently, practicing it, it's like anything else, languages, instruments, driving, you have to practice reframing your thoughts. So they read the flips. I have one client who had like a hundred cards. It was just a joyful experience. But the more you practice and read those flip, the flip side of those cards, the wants, you read them out loud. You are wiring, you're firing different neurons, wiring things together differently. And it builds, it builds intention and purpose in you. And you, and you are moving forward in your thoughts and drawing yourself towards the things you want. It, it's a, it's like a manifestation exercise and it just works wonders when we can do that because we get out of that, those icky, sticky, like I can't do it thoughts. And where's the line between, you know, pure manifestation and, and wanting something into existence versus that daily practice of reading these and rewiring our neurons? What's the practical difference between the two? Well, the pra the practical difference is, I think it's difficult to articulate where one ends and the other begins. And what I mean by that is, if you write on the flip side of one of your cards, I wanted to advocate for myself at work. And you and you say that to yourself every day. When you go into work, believe it or not, you will comport yourself differently. You will carry yourself differently. You will look for opportunities, you know, that RAS system in your brain. You will look for opportunities where you can satisfy that intention. Um, now, is, is this an exact science? No, it's not. The, the premise of it is science-based. It's all evidence-based. I mean, I'm not making this up. This is neuroscience. This is how the brain is wired. But it, it, it is a, it's sort of an iterative process where people start to look for different opportunities. They may, let's take another example. If it's a personal relationship and you write on the flip side of your card, I want to be more connected to my partner. Naturally, you're not going to be in defense mode anymore and you will be looking for opportunities to be more connected. And it might even trigger conversations that you never thought you would have. So again, it's a case by case basis. It's iterative and a person has to want, <laughs> want to practice, be consistent and be open to that, to that possibility. But in my experience with clients, in my experience in life and personally, once I started doing that, I found courage that I just didn't know I had to make change in my life because I just stuck with it and I kept doing the work every day saying the things out loud, firing both hemispheres of my brain, writing letters to myself, doing the things that that I now teach, but that work, that worked for me and I've seen it work for other people. So it isn't an exact science, Brandon. It doesn't show up the same way for everybody, but it starts with the commitment to that, that, that work. Yeah, I think the things you're saying are very, very reasonable. And, you know, to my my understanding of uh, the literature, is it, it sounds very grounded. You know, you're not claiming 
put this on the back of a, a card and then hope that it comes true, <clears throat> you're saying you need to start by rewiring a fear into a want or an apprehension into a, an inspiration. And then with that new mindset, you will naturally have a different predisposition to your environments and the opportunities, and you'll have a more positive outlook on it. That all seems very reasonable. Is that a good way to summarize it? Yes, it is. Uh, and that seems very different from manifestation, which is, I mean, really just wishful thinking. Like, that's the end of it. Put it down on the piece of paper, close your eyes, wish hard enough. This is really... It is. It is. But manifestation also can trigger that part of your brain where you start looking at things different, differently. So, I mean, yeah, there are schools of thought on that, but I'll give you, a, I'll give you a good, can I give you a little anecdote that might illustrate this? Well, okay. So I was working with a financial planner and uh, very intelligent, very successful, was struggling with cold calling, struggling with it. Um, and she said, I just don't like it, you know, and I'm not good at it. So we, we unpack that, you know, what is it about it that you don't like? What is it about it? after 45 minutes of talking? Like, and then what? And then what? I just kept pulling the thread. She was afraid of making people angry. Well, where do you think that comes from? Have you ever had anybody get angry with you when you, you know, called them? Has anybody been rude and awful? No. Okay. So where does that come? What's the fact? What let's, let's stick with the facts. It went all the way back to when she was a kid and, and having a, a situation where she didn't know, you know, what she, what to expect from a family member or, or whatever, or how they were going to react. And it was just such a light bulb for her. She was like, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. But that's what I mean when I say these things are not readily apparent. Sometimes you have to kind of like, dig in and see where that bad feeling is coming from. And it sometimes takes work. And honestly, sometimes I refer people out to therapists. I, sometimes that's the best thing to do if someone's really stuck in fear-based thinking. But what you and I are talking about here today are those that I work with where we can use these practical applications and they work. Well, let me ask a question just from pure ignorance, because I'm not an expert on manifestation or neuroscience or any of these fields. My very limited of manifestation is that the claim is that you can wish something into being. And the claim of this uh, index card exercise is that if you rewire your, well, this will rewire your brain and a rewired brain will be more susceptible to opportunities for success. Is that a reasonable way? That's to put fair. Okay. Yes, that's, that's fair. Yep. Okay. Um, so then now that I have that picture and you've brought this wonderful perspective that sometimes as a coach, you do have to offload someone to a, a, uh, a health professional, whether that's mental or otherwise, um, I'd be curious to take a brief aside, you know, what do you look for to tell you that this person does need some different type of support? And then what's your process for broaching that with the client in a, an agreeable way? Yeah, I don't, I don't ever have trouble broaching that. And here's why uh, the first, the first part of your question will answer that. If there is evidence of trauma, uh, that needs healing, uh, and, and when I say trauma, I'm referring to the continuum. 
there is a, a wide continuum of, of experiences that can fall under the aegis of trauma. Um, obviously, you know, violence, you know, witnessing atrocities, all the things that's obviously, you know, deeply rooted trauma. But I'm also talking about, you know, trauma from, uh, uh, toxic relationships, trauma from past work experiences where they were, you know, unfairly fired or, um, those are also traumas. I was having a conversation with someone about this yesterday. I wish we could call them disruptions because in some ways I feel like it's insensitive to people who really do uh, suffer horrible trauma. But the point of our conversation here, Brandon, is that if someone has unresolved, unhealed trauma, they are best uh, served to be in the care of a, of a health care professional, not because there's something wrong with them, but because I'm not qualified to guide them on that journey of healing. And there are fant- fabulous method, method modalities of therapy that do heal trauma. There's a reason why the book, The Body Keeps the Score, is on the New York Times bestseller list every week. Um, we all have these things that are unresolved in our lives that are living in our nervous system. And when they're in our nervous system, they, they, they live there. They stay there. They get triggered when we find ourselves in triggering situations, but they never go away unless they're healed. So in those cases, I, I always first acknowledge with respect and compassion, I hear that there may be some past trauma. You may be best served in the hands of a healthcare professional. um, And I'm happy to work with you concurrently if the healthcare professional believes that would be appropriate. But I'm just always very honest about that. And by and large, people really do appreciate that because again, we can't notice these things in ourselves. You know, it's very difficult. So I've never had somebody be offended um, by my implying or stating that I think they they should be referred out. And then I'm always my door is always open. But let's let's give you a firm foundation first. Yeah, that's it's very encouraging for me to hear. You know, I'm I'm constantly in touch with our coaches and I know that uh, understanding how to toe that line uh, is hot on people's minds. Um, and so to that point, if there was a coach out there who is looking at a client and thinking, you know, maybe I should, you know, bring someone else in. Would you be willing to be that resource for people to ask ask a question or hear your experience, even just reach out to you for insight? Of course, of course, and yes. How would people get in touch with you? They can. Uh, I'm very easy to find, so I'm on LinkedIn. They can find me also through my website, nancyrberger.com. There's a contact page, and I. I will get right back to you um, either way. And also my email, uh, which, you know, I'm happy to share, nancy.burger994 at gmail.com. Out of curiosity, Nancy, what's the 994? I don't know. Google gave it to me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Are you telling me that Nancy Burger was already taken as as an address? Yes, and how can that be? But as it happens, 94 was the year my first child was born. So I loved it. I took it. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, shame on the other Nancy for taking it. I can't believe that there's enough out there. There's competition for the address. <laughs> um, good. Well, take me back to the top of the, the fear journey template that we're looking at. Can you tell me what it is, what this is and how people use it? 
Yeah, so it is an infographic that looks like a road map a little bit. So it's a road that winds into the into a sunset. And along the road, there are blank road signs. And then as and at the sun, there are rays of the sun and there are lines there. What I ask people to do is to write in the road signs experiences from their early lives that may have been formative in their relationship with fear and their relationship with self. So give you an example. Um, my parents told me I would never be a writer. Um, I tried out for the school play and it was a galactic disaster. Uh, you know, whatever. So fill in, I mean, these are general, typically not pleasant memories, right? That's, they get wired in and we, so I ask people to write them down. And then in the sun rays, I ask them to write down either how they think those fear-based limiting beliefs may be manifesting in their life now. Like I start shaking every time I'm asked to speak at work or um, I can't, Every time I have a writing, anything to do that involves writing, I freeze up, right? You would be surprised, Brandon, how many aha moments I, I experience with clients when they do this exercise. It's like, Oh, that's why I can, that's why I get tongue tied when I given a, when I, in, in the team meeting every week. That's why, you know, we just, we're not good at connecting dots. So this, this infographic is an, is an activity that helps you connect some dots. Um, and, and it's the first step in kind of figuring ourselves out, you know, what makes us tick and why we do the things we do and why we avoid the things we avoid. So what, what are, can you give us some insights on what those next steps are after you've completed, you know, the, the baseline journey? Right. So then we work, we go to work in finding, now that we're fine, kind of finding what's holding us back enlightening ourselves on why, right? Digging into the different areas in our life where this may be bubbling up, accepting that it's happening, taking agency of it through different activities that I teach in my course. Um, and then, then with all that information, we're able to reframe the thought. So um, for say the, the, the speaking, like I was, I had a horrible audition experience. Now I can't speak publicly. Okay. I do different things with, with learners, like what, a what if scenario, what happens if you stand up and at your team meeting and you speak, we do some visualizations, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay. Suppose that happens. What will you do? All of these things, again, we're back to that iterative process of building different thoughts and building that muscle, right? So that we're going to, we're going to pivot. And the more you pivot, the more apt you are to pivot the next time. So the fear formula is find, enlighten, accept, and reframe. Those are the steps. And each step has different, um, activities and exercises to do that. And by the way, I also do breath work, some sort of meditative or relaxation exercise before we do any of this. So we can calm down the parasympathetic nervous system, which is holding on to all this stuff and have a nice, you know, calm foundation from which to do this work. So it's, it's, it's a mixture of all sorts of things. It's not a straight line, Brandon. This is not a straight line. <laughs> it takes some meandering. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I think is so powerful here about fear, 
You know, you don't need to have that straight line. You need to cycle again and again and again and slowly wear it down over time. Um, in your experience, I should ask, do you have any anecdotes of someone who's knocked on your door and in a 60 minute session has said like, oh my God, of course, this is the problem. Here's the solution. And then gets right on the horse and rides like immediate success. Does this ever happen? Nope. No. Okay. Nope. <laughs> What's the, you tell us, walk us through like what the usual experience would be. The usual, uh, the, you know, I can say with a hundred percent honesty, there is not a usual experience I've had yet. I, every a client has been a different experience. I've had people that in our first session were reduced to tears within minutes. I've had people who, uh, absolutely refuse to dig in, uh, for, many sessions. And then finally, they they became some of my best clients because they worked so hard once they got that they could change things. It really depends on the person. And I've had people say, I just then ghost me after after a couple of sessions, like I just won't do it. Um, and, and, and that's okay because then we're not meant for each other, you know? Um, but I can tell you, Brandon, I've been doing this personally for like my journey really started 15 years ago where I really started making some headway. And just last month, I discovered something, a pattern of behavior that I have that comes from old, old wounds. And it took me, and it was a parent, it's a parenting thing that I've been doing. And it took me this long to figure it out. And I actually checked in with my, both my kids. Uh, I said, do I do this? And they're like, yep. And it, it, it is, it was so enlightening to me. So the point of that is why I'm sharing that with you is because the journey continues. It's not a one and done and it's not even a 10 and done. It's like once you raise your awareness and you can reframe thoughts, then it's like, it's like teaching someone to fish, you know? It's like you, you can't, I can't hand you a tool. It's going to, that's going to fix everything unless you're going to meet me halfway and do the work. But then once you do it, you can apply that tool for it to any situation. And it's powerful. It's powerful. And, you know, we talk here about fixing. Is that the, am I using that word correct? Is fixing the right word or, or are we learning strategies to, is it like addictive behavior? You're never like, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. You just manage your intake. Is it kind of like that with fear? Well, um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not going to touch that one, but what I will say is that once you raise your awareness around your own thought patterns, that's the first step to changing them. And once you start doing that, it becomes easier. It becomes easier because a lot of the, it's the resistance that holds, that stuffs things down. And so they never see the light of day, but they really do because they come out in your behaviors and in your interactions. And, you know, think about the worst boss you've ever had. It, somebody said something really powerful to me years ago. It was a psychiatrist. He said, if you knew everything about your enemies, they wouldn't be your enemies. So I apply that more times than I can tell you, not in the, within the context of enemies, but if we understood everything about why other people do what they do, we would not, we would not hold it against them. Doesn't mean it forgives bad behavior. It just, it's just enlightening. 
everybody's going through something. Everybody's struggling with something. We just don't know what those things are. And they don't come out in ways that are intuitively obvious. Like, you know, it could be something that's so buried that it just, it just is, it manifests in a weird way and it comes out as antisocial behavior. So again, we don't forgive bad behavior. We're just saying we can have compassion for it because if we understood it, so I'm asking people, I'm challenging people to try to understand yourself. And this is how we start to understand ourselves, to understand what we're afraid of and what's holding us back. And do these fears go away? Like at a certain point, are they like, okay, that's done and dusted. Now I can focus on something else. Or do you just get a good grip on it? I think it depends on the person and how long they work at it, how hard they work at it. I can tell you from personal experience, the things that I struggled with as a 20-year-old and 30-year-old, 40-year-old, um, I no longer struggle with, period, um, because I applied these strategies that, that I teach. Um, new things come up as we live life. If you're living life, you know, to, to its fullest, you're going to come across different things. But here's the key. Again, it's back to learning how to fish. These things come up and you say, oh, I'm noticing that I'm doing that thing that I do sometimes. I'm going to right now take the opportunity to shift out of this thinking. I still do that. So I just think it's a, it's an aptitude. It's not an aptitude. It's a, a, a habit. It becomes a habit. Because you, you, you learn the tools, you learn the strategies, they become a habit. And then neurologically, you're more apt to fire those same neurons again and again. So it makes it easier to shift out of those thoughts going forward. And for people in either work situations or personal situations, it's like, it's, re it, it really can be life changing because you're like, Oh, I'm, this is an uncomfortable situation. I'm going to lean into this and I'm going to understand why I'm getting nervous. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk it out. And it, and, and that's where I get so much reward because, you know, when people learn how to do their life differently, right? Well, and I can see, as you've mentioned, there's very strong linkages to stakeholder center coaching because these fears are manifesting behaviorally. And unfortunately, it sounds like everyone sees them long before we do. Yes, generally. <laughs> generally, and uh -huh. and if you and we've talked about this, Brandon, right? If you have a coaching client and they just won't, they don't have that humility, they don't have that courage, they don't have that discipline. It's not going to work. You know, I wish you well. It's that it, it's not going to work. This engagement will not work because. What, what's the common denominator in, 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 in leading a team or living your life? You have to be able to take a hard look at how you co-create all your relationships. And the whole premise of stakeholder-centered coaching is it doesn't really matter what the coach thinks and what the leader thinks. It matters what the stakeholders think. It matters how you're perceived. So it's, it's almost like you're doing a, a mini stakeholder centered coaching, uh, a session with yourself. Like, and your stakeholders are all those voices, you know, in your head. And I'd love to do that 360, right? So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and that's, that's why it works, you know? Oh yeah, that would be such a scary report to read and even worse to debrief someone as a coach. Yikes. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful to see, uh, because stakeholder center coaching is outside in, right? We don't teach 
any any part of it is inside out. We teach, you know, many many methodologies are based on like you know literature and art. You need to internalize, but you don't need to internalize mathematics. You need to get the correct answer, get the sticker on your paper, and then get the next quiz next week, and just keep doing that. Or you point at the cookie jar and say, "Cookie." Mom says, "Say please." You say, "Please." You get the outcome. Like that's it. Outside in learning, and it it does not address inside out. The expectation and what is borne out in the literature is that that behavioral change occurs when you get consistently externally reinforced, you change internally, you're actually starting at the source as well and saying, we're going to help you outside in and inside out. So this index card is self feed forward. Do you go a step further and ask your stakeholders for feed forward kind of on what's on the back of your index card? Uh it maybe depending on the stakeholders, you know, it depends on the culture. It depends on a lot of things. You know, I try to be, and that's the great thing about these tools. I can kind of adapt them to any, any kind of situation. Um, and, and sometimes I have to tread a little more carefully than others. Um, and frankly, sometimes a leader will be kind of afraid of, of it, like not. Like, like I get a little side eye, like, what are you talking about? You know, and, and that's okay. And then I just kind of roll it back a little bit and just, I'll put those index cards back in my bag and we'll just come at this from a different angle. So I think in any good coach, and, and I think you would attest to this, you have to read the room. You have to meet people where they are. And I don't go in and say, Oh, here, I'm Nancy Berger. Here I am. We are going to just pick your brain apart starting now, you know, now. Um, so it, it, you have to be, but, but to your point, that's why it's such a great marriage of methodologies because this is inside out work and stakeholder center coaching is outside in work and it really can work beautifully together. Mm -hmm. Well, when you think about the type of clients that uh, generally come to you, you know, my assumption would be that they're high achieving, they have some recognized fear, they come in and say, here, this is exactly what I want to get, get, uh, get positively affect. Um, is that a fair, fair representation of your, your general client? Or if I'm listening, and I, I, how would I know if you are probably the coach to help me achieve the things I want to achieve? If that's a great question. If you think you know more than anybody, and so by that, I mean, if there's, you know, this uh, sort of an arrogance, like, I don't need that, that's kind of woo-woo nonsense, I, I would prefer you didn't call me because I don't think I'll help you, not because uh, I'm telling you you're wrong, but because I don't think I can help you. I think what I bring is, is an, is an approachability. It's a safe space. We can talk because I, I think what holds a lot of people back. And I think the ideal client for me is not held back by this. What holds people back is I know that stuff is holding me back. I don't know how to change it. Therefore, I don't want to talk about it. I've gotten this far in my life and I don't need this woman telling me, you know, that, you know, my Thanksgiving table 30 years ago, you know, I just don't want to talk about it. Oh, okay. I respect that. We're not, we're not meant to work together. Um, but the ideal client is somebody that knows there's something getting it. If, if I could kind of like shift out of this, if I could feel better in my skin, I think I could blow the doors off. I just don't know how to start. That's my person. 
because we we can we can get started. Okay, if I'm a listener and I hear that and I th- say, "Oh my God, Nancy, that's me." It's like you already know me. We're halfway there. Let's get to work. Uh, how would people? How would people find you? How can people um, discover your Fear Formula course? So that's easy. If you go to my website, Nancy R. Burger, spelled like hamburger, dot com, there's a course page, and you click on the course page, and it tells you all about it. You know what? If it's meant for you. If you struggle with this, what you'll learn, what you'll walk away with. So the course page is very informative. And you can contact me through my website um, on the contact page. You can contact me through LinkedIn. Um, very easy to find there. Uh, and you can also find me, you can email me directly, nancy.burger994 at gmail.com. I'm very responsive. I'll get back to you quickly. Are there any themes you're noticing with your clients in terms of the types of fear that are affecting people at higher levels in organizations? Yes. Imposter syndrome is pretty big. Uh, and it's a, it's a sneaky thing. It's sometimes leaders, uh, don't know they suffer from it because they're outwardly confident. They run teams. They run companies. They, uh, publicly speak, they, it's in moments where, you know, they least expect to have this bad feeling because, you know, they're doing their day. Their, 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 their company's doing well. Their teams are doing well. They're profitable, whatever the thing may be. But imposter syndrome is very sneaky and it, 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 it emerges in sometimes unexpected situations. It may be, the company has an opportunity maybe for an acquisition. Oh, and then suddenly it'll come up. Well, um, I've never done that before. And then the imposter syndrome comes up. So often it's just a matter of, again, that humility and saying, okay, this situation kind of triggered a feeling that wasn't good. I don't really know what it is. Um, and I want to, I want to conquer it. But, but the, the, uh, that behavior of sort of barreling through it. Like I'll just be louder at the meeting or I'll just, um, I'll just try to avoid, you know, the one on one with the, with the, the HR person from the company we want to acquire, whatever it is, pick your thing. That's not the answer. That's what I say. I, I, I can't stand the thing. Well, just, ro- just run over the fear, do it anyway. No, take a moment, take a beat and let's understand what it is that you think could happen. Let's unravel that, unpack it and then reframe your thinking of, around it. And then you can revisit the, the the situation with a different set of eyes, right? Looking at it through a different filter. With our very unique uh, access to, to very high achieving coaches through Stakeholder Center Coaching, through 100 Coaches, and our, our affiliation with Marsha Goldsmith, you know, we're talking with, with uh, those who are objectively the, the um, the giants in our industry, and they are overwhelmingly saying, yeah, I've hit all of the right career milestones, but I still feel heavy doses of imposter syndrome. I felt it for years, no idea what to do about it. Is this index card activity sufficient for them? Or is there other pieces of advice that you would give to coaches who are struggling with the question, am I really qualified or even the right person to be an executive coach? I would say, first of all, there's not, I wouldn't say there's one thing for everybody to do that would be enough. Certainly the index card exercise is a great exercise, but it's part of a 
bigger, a broader approach. Um, so it's a tool in the toolbox, but it's not the whole toolbox. And if someone is very accomplished in their career and has hit all these milestones and is still feeling that, it could be that they could benefit from talking to someone who can really dig into, and that could be a healthcare professional or that could be, that could be a coach. But I'm saying it depends on the level of, of stuckedness. It depends on the level of feeling about it. Like if it's intermittent, I think the index card exercise and the fear formula course might be really great. It might uncover just exactly what that person needs to know about themselves and help them reframe. They'll practice it. And after a few months, they'll feel differently. And then they'll notice that in these situations at work, they don't feel that imposter syndrome coming up. That's a great outcome, right? Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes that person needs to talk to someone who's qualified to dig into past traumas or whatever it was that happened to a person early in their life that keeps coming up because they just don't, they don't know where it's coming from. So there's not a one size fits all for any of these things. But, um, sometimes it's just a discovery call. I will know the level at which this is holding somebody back and I can give them guidance that way. Nancy, are there any over and above client stories that you have or any anecdotes of someone who came in and they just really thought they were at the bottom of a huge mountain, they'd never be able to get to the other side and through your coaching came out successful and just having an overall higher quality of life? Any anecdotes you could share? Well, I have, I had one client who he, he always sticks out in my mind because, uh, when I first met him, he was pretty prickly, I would say. Um, and at the end of our coaching engagement, he was, he like got, he even got a little bit emotional. Like he said it was transformational and that feels good to hear as a coach, but what feels even better is when the people that work with him said, he's just different. He's just a different guy. Um, and in a good way. And that lives on as one of my most rewarding and satisfying, not because I want to change people, but I know that he felt better in his skin because of the work that we did. And I could see his confidence growing. He was, he looked confident in the beginning, but he was kind of annoying everyone. I mean, he was sucking all the air out of the room at every meeting, you know, so he was trying to run over the top of it. And over time, he it came from the inside out. And he now just has better relationships, better interactions. And he told me a funny story. He said, I was at a barbecue last weekend. And then I was talking to some buddies of mine. And they got into two of my buddies got into it with each other about something. And I kind of interjected was using some of the I, I, he called it Nancy's way. And he said, and they said to me, what has happened to you? Who is this? Who is this Nancy? <laughs> and that was just a beautiful story. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. That's, that's great. And that's what we, that's what we want as coaches is just to improve the, the quality of life for people and the people around the people we work with. Because that, that's that's the, our triple bottom line. Um, well, Nancy, I, I so appreciate that you've given this tool, that you've given the time to come talk about it. 
Um, for our listeners, I encourage you to grab this um, and make use of it. So Nancy, on the other side of this, this tool, uh, let's say I download it, I go through it, I know what my fears are. Um, I've done the index card tool. Is the next step getting into the course? Should I send you my completed worksheet and ask for insight? What, what should I do after I've completed the template? Well, if if somebody completes a template and they just have questions and they want to chat about it with me, they can go on my website and easily dis, uh, book a discovery call. It's complimentary. They don't. They, there's no payment for it. They can just go and do it on my right on the site um, if they want to chat with me. That's one one avenue. If they want to dig into the course, all they they can email me and on the template that you the 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 download. Um, my information is at the bottom of the worksheet. So they can email me and I will send them a 30% off discount code um, so they can take the course um, and they can uh, enroll right from my website. Um, it goes through the Thinkific platform. So either of those two ways, they want to just talk to me first, not sure it's for them, not sure they, what they, or maybe they don't want to take the course. They just want to work with me, whatever it is. You could book a call with me or you can enroll in the course directly from my website. And if there's any question, I just send me an email and ask the question and I'll, and I'll respond to you there. Excellent. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Nancy Berger. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Conversations with Coaches and sharing this tool around identifying and articulating our fears. Uh, you can find all of the links to the tool as well as Nancy's social media email and website in the description below. If you have a question or would like to recommend a guest, drop me an email to podcast at mgscc.net. And remember, if you like the tool and you're interested to know more, you can get it for free at mgscc.net forward slash coach dash toolbox. If you're a certified stakeholder center coach, you can get this right inside of your SCC coach portal today. This has been another episode of our series, Conversations with Coaches by Stakeholder-Centered Coaching, where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder-centered leader. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your time and wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining. And until next time, remember to keep learning, keep improving, and keep taking your coaching skills to the next level. We'll see you on the next episode of Conversations with Coaches.